I'm Lisa Mullins, and this is The World, a co-production of the BBC World Service, PRI, and WGBH in Boston. South Sudan celebrated its first anniversary as an independent nation this week. It took decades of struggle. Among the actors who helped the South finally gain independence from Khartoum in the north was a small group of Americans. That's according to longtime journalist Rebecca Hamilton. She writes about this group in an article for Reuters. It is called How America Was Sold on South Sudan. Rebecca, this small cadre of American policy wonks is extremely interesting. I wonder if you can tell us who they are and how they got together to begin with. Sure. So they are this very unlikely grouping. You have an English lit professor, you have an Ethiopian refugee to America, you have one man who was in the US federal government for 32 years until he retired this year. So this unlikely grouping that were bonded by their interest in southern Sudan and who were all captivated by the late southern Sudanese rebel leader, John Garang. And interesting to look at the beginnings because one of them had actually gone to school, Iowa State University, with John Garang. Exactly. And his name is Brian De Silva, and he remembers his supervisor telling him before John Garang arrived, pay attention to this man. One day he will be the future leader of his country. So he became very captivated by the Southern cause. And this was back at the very beginning of the 80s. Two of the original members of the council, they called themselves, were working on Southern Sudan in 1981. So you're looking here at a 30-year time span between their initial involvement and Southern Sudanese independence last year. Right. So you say they call themselves the council. They also gave each other kind of nicknames, grandiose nicknames, we should say. (laughs) They did. Um, They called the man Ted Danye, who was originally a a refugee from Ethiopia, they called him the emperor. And they assigned a man called Eric Reeves, who was this English literature professor, the title of deputy emperor. Another one was the spear carrier. Another one was the council member in waiting because he always liked to challenge the emperor. But what comes across is that these men were working together very closely, putting in just innumerable hours over a period of decades in their struggle to support the Southern Sudanese cause. And the hours didn't just involve hours of lunch in the uh, back of this Italian bistro. The hours also involved hours on Capitol Hill with a lot of cajoling, a lot of movement back and forth, and representing various interests. What was the impetus and what were the interests that these guys, and they're all guys, were representing? Yeah, and I should say the core group are all men, but they count as an informal member of their group, Susan Rice, the current U.S. ambassador to the U.N., who would sometimes drop in on these sort of convening lunches that they had at this little Italian bistro down in Washington. But their initial mission was simply to put what was happening in southern Sudan on the radar of people in Washington. And the background is that there was a very long civil war in Sudan. Some two million southern Sudanese were killed. But for much of the time, it was very difficult for anyone to get access into the area. And so you weren't getting stories of what was actually happening for civilians on the ground. And initially, what the group started doing in the 1980s was trying to get members of Congress into these war-torn areas so that they could hear direct testimony from the victims of the conflict. What was the interest of the council as it's known? What drove these movers and shakers to this particular place? 
They had come in through a variety of means. You know, for Brian De Silva, it was that he was a classmate of the Southern Sudanese rebel leader when he was at Iowa State University. For John Prendergast, he had been this sort of wayward college graduate that had been traveling the Horn of Africa looking for some meaning and cause in his life and had stumbled upon what was happening in Southern Sudan. For Roger Winter, who was then involved in the US Committee for Refugees, it was hearing tales of Southern Sudanese who had arrived in the US. So they came to it through different means, but what they were united by was their belief in the righteousness of the cause of the Southerners. And even though they admit that in the war, some of the Southern fighters actually committed horrific atrocities, they nonetheless always felt that the South was in in the right against this battle with the government in the North, the Sudanese government. You write in your article, Nation Hood has many midwives. South Sudan is primarily the creation of its own people. It was the South Sudanese leaders who fought for autonomy and more than two million Southern Sudanese who paid for that freedom with their lives. So the Sudanese came first. Where does the council, this group that you're writing about, fit in? They saw themselves as supporting the Southerners. And I'm glad you read out that paragraph because it was very important to me to be clear that this is a South Sudanese story. But the truth is that no rebel movement gets to become autonomous and to have their own nation without some powerful outside backing. You know, I wonder if you had the feeling as you were reporting this story and talking to this cadre, members of the so-called council, who, as we said, you know, give each other names like the emperor, etc. It has a very imperial tone to it. And it may be these nicknames tongue-in-cheek, but is there an air of presumption among the members of this group? Is there a notion that they are kind of somehow exerting or influencing American foreign policy with regard to Sudan in an outsized way? The nicknames are very captivating, but it is important to emphasize that they were very much tongue-in-cheek. And what is very clear from speaking to them is the depth of the contact that they had with the Southern Sudanese rebel leaders. So I think it's sort of more accurate to think of them as almost the Southerners' proxies in Washington. Um, But necessarily for good or bad, the influences that the members of this council brought to bear could represent United States interests, maybe not. Right, absolutely. I mean, I think that without the council, without their efforts, I don't think that U.S. foreign policy towards South Sudan would be what it is today. And as we say, depending on your viewpoint, that's a good or a bad thing. But I don't think there was anything natural about the U.S. government becoming an ally of this new country of South Sudan. Do they still meet in that Italian restaurant? (laughs) A couple of them go to that restaurant for lunch, but they've split their different ways. We have the emperor who has now moved to Juba to become an advisor to the new South Sudanese president, Salva Kiir. So I think they feel that the effort to get Southern Sudanese independence has been fulfilled, but now there's a new challenge, which is to make sure that it becomes a democratic nation that represents its own people. Rebecca Hamilton, thank you. Thank you.